Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing as well as I feel like I'm doing this morning. It's a great day to be together to worship the Lord. And uh, we're going to see some great things a little later, but we've already had an awesome day of worship and communion. And uh, my good buddy Cliff Hollis is back with us today. If y'all didn't get a chance to see Cliff, uh, he's, he's moved away, but he was, he's back here today. And, uh, you know, I, I just really believe that we are in a time of revival. I don't know if you feel it, but I definitely feel it. Um, we, we had some challenges with COVID, but I'm excited about what I'm seeing more recently. Uh, we, we don't have a youth minister right now. We're searching. But we have some awesome volunteers who are doing a terrific job with our young people. Give my, our volunteers a hand. They, they're making a huge impact on our young people. We have a terrific group of volunteers in our children's ministry, and they're doing a terrific job. We have our women's ministry team is on fire, and they're doing some remarkable things. Our men's ministry has never been as strong. And over the last couple of months, we've seen several baptisms, and there's more coming. It is obvious that God is moving. And the key to us uh, is to move where God is leading. Amen to that? Amen. And today's message is about following God's leading when it comes to our finances. Uh, I want to share a story with you. How many of you ever heard of Centralia, Pennsylvania? Raise your hand if you ever heard of Centralia, Pennsylvania. This, this is a story that sort of sounds like it couldn't be true, but it is true. I'm sure it was like a nightmare for the people that live there. Uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania was a coal mining town. And in May of 1962, a coal mine fire started uh, at the coal mine there in Centralia. It spread to mine tunnels and because of the high carbon monoxide levels, all the local mines had to close. Numerous attempts were made to put the fire out, but the narrow tunnels that were sort of going out in all different kinds of directions made it very difficult, in fact, impossible and very dangerous to access. So the fire continued to grow. One newspaper reported this. As the years went on, the ground beneath the city itself became hotter and hotter reaching over 900 degrees in some locations. Imagine that. Smoke poured from sinkholes and gas-filled basements. Residents started to report health problems and homes began to tilt. Even the dead can't rest in peace, wrote Greg Walter for People magazine in 1981. Graves in the town's two cemeteries are believed to have dropped into the abyss of fire that rages below them. Earlier that year, a 12-year-old boy fell into a sudden sinkhole created by the fire, and he barely escaped. That sinkhole was four feet wide and 150 feet deep, and the only way he was saved is he grabbed a root of a tree. Unfortunately, officials decided that further attempts at putting the fire out would be futile and that the best course of action would be to buy out the residents and condemn all the houses and other buildings, thus creating a ghost town. 
Even today, that coal mine fire still rages a hundred, hundreds of feet underground in Centralia. I also read that a nearby town also had to be evacuated because the fire spread to there. Experts expect it to continue for another hundred years. Think about that. Now, by contrast, did you know that the average forest fire lasts about 37 days? So why is it that the coal mine fire could burn uncontrollably for so long? What, what has made it nearly impossible to stop? Well, there's a couple of key factors. First of all, it's difficult to access. Putting out any wildfire is a challenge, but when you have access to the fire, it certainly can help. Coal mine fires that burn deep underground and narrow tunnels are very difficult to reach and extinguish if possible at all. And then the second factor is this. There's a nearly unlimited fuel supply. Oftentimes, the coal deposits in the coal mines run deep and wide. And this particular mine in Pennsylvania has seemingly endless deposits that will continue to fuel that fire until all that coal is consumed. Fire has been used as a tool for thousands of years. And when it burns in a fireplace, it keeps us warm. On a wick of a candle, fire provides light. It can easily be controlled and used for good. But without the proper safety measures in place, it can cause tremendous amounts of harm. And I want to suggest to you that like fire, money can be a dangerous tool. It can be used for good, but it can also be used to cause harm. And like fire, money isn't evil in and of itself. It is not good, it's not bad, it's amoral. And as long as people have been using money, it has been used for both evil and good. But when it's in our hearts, money becomes incredibly destructive. Not only to us, but also to those around us. Because just like in the coal mine, our hearts at times can be difficult to access. In fact, we don't even know what's in the depths of our hearts. Only God knows. Greed can hide in the shadows and is often difficult for us to notice, let alone extinguish. And then there is a, a never-ending amount of fuel. Proverbs says, the eyes of a man are never satisfied. There's a never-ending limit to how much we desire. John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men who ever walked the earth, was asked, how much is enough? And he said, or is reported to have said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Money becomes dangerous when it's not controlled and we let it settle in our hearts. And as Jonathan Swift puts it, a wise man should have money in his head, but not in his heart. How do we keep money out of our hearts? How can we use it as a tool to glorify God and advance his kingdom rather than just spend it selfishly on ourselves? In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, 
that we cannot serve both God and money. And that's true. If money is your God, then you'll try to make God a servant of your money. But the inverse is also true. When God is truly our master, then money will become our servant. A well-known Welch uh, Christian minister, he's also an author of a popular daily devotional entitled Every Day with Jesus, Selwyn Hughes is actually the author of the big idea for today. And our big idea today is this. You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. And that is the big idea for today. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, David once wrote a prayer to you and he asked you to search him, to search his heart, to point out anything that offended you that would create that you would create in him a pure heart. And so, Father, uh, today I come before you and I hope this body of believers comes before you to affirm that you are the Lord and master of our lives and that money will be a servant to fulfill your purposes and your calling in our lives. Father, may your word fill our hearts and may your spirit take the word and move us to action. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today let's go to Matthew chapter 6 and look at what Jesus said in verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about based upon that passage of Scripture. And the first thing is this. If you're following along in your outline, trust in God, not money. Now, I've got some guys here today that were going to come help me out with something. So those guys that were asked, can you come on up and come right up here on stage? I'm going to get you to help me out with something, okay? Um, these guys are brave. Yes, brave, brave young men. Well, <laughs> all right, so I need, I need three of you on this side and three of you on that side facing each other, all right? Let's, let's see how quickly we can do this. All right, so I want you to put your arms out like this, and I want you to lock arms just straight across. There you go, lock arms. Now, now get down on your knees. All right. Now, uh, they didn't know that this was going to happen. Do you see the fear in their eyes? Now, now listen, if y'all would prefer to go down off stage, I can fall off stage into the room. Is this okay right here? This is okay? Okay. We're going to do... They said this is fine. This is okay. So this is called a trust fall, right? It's a trust fall. Now, I, I've got to trust them. I'm saving my grip strength for when he starts... I have to trust them. 
Do I trust you? Yeah, we got you. You got me. I got you. You said you got me. I got you. All right. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Eli says, well, I'm glad he's got him. All right. Now, now, now I, I had another step stool that was in my office. And if you're the one that removed it from my office, I need to see you after church. Because this is not the one I wanted to use. I wanted to use the taller one. So uh, we're going to, I hope I don't get caught up because if my elbow flies out, I could crack somebody in the nose. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to cross my arms and cross my chest. All right. All right. I got a tippy toe to the end. All right. Are we ready? I want y'all to count down three. I think they got me. <laughs> y'all didn't even y'all didn't even catch me. <laughs> hey, we caught you. We caught your head. <laughs> you got my head. Yeah, we got your head, man. All right. Thank you. Buddy. All right, God. Did you guys Pre- appreciate that. I realize. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I needed that taller step stool. That would have helped a little bit. But, um, uh, you know, so often we trust in money to make our struggles disappear. But when we do, we're putting our faith in money, not in the one who actually provides for us. Now, there's a biblical scholar named John Piper. Many of you are familiar with him. He says, you can't trust in God and in money at the same time. Belief is in one is unbelief in the other. And so it's time to break our trust in money. And the best way to know to let go of our trust in money is actually by giving. And it's really an effective anecdote or antidote. We see the remedy in Mark in the story of the rich young ruler. This rich kid comes up to Jesus. He thinks he's followed all the laws. But he was bound by his love and trust in money. So we're going to look in Mark chapter 10 today, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he declared, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I I, I love that aspect of the story. (laughs) Even though Jesus knew his heart and Jesus knew his weaknesses, when Jesus looked at him, he loved him. And friends, that's a great example for all of us. If we know somebody that's weak, maybe not where they need to be spiritually, why don't you love them instead of condemn them? Jesus said, one thing you lack, 
Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible with God. So the cure, Jesus prescribed generosity. Sell what you have and give it away. And this is how we begin to trust in God more than our money. You might remember the story of a guy named Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke. He was a wealthy chief tax collector. Jesus visited him in his house. He was despised for his greed. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus said to him, but we do know that after Jesus left, he gave half of his wealth to the poor. Now, it sure seems like in order to break Zacchaeus' love of money, that Jesus would have given him this similar prescription that he gave this rich young ruler. In both of those instances, when Jesus encountered people who had placed their trust in money rather than in God, he prescribed giving as a remedy. Now, one key to doing this is our second point today. Make money the servant. Make money the servant. There's no doubt that money is necessary. I mean, we all, we all need money. We have to pay our bills, we have to buy our food, we, we go on trips, we help others in need, we have you know, medical issues that come up, and you gotta have money with all of those things. Money is a necessity. But friends, money doesn't have to be your master. Can I get an amen out of that? I don't think many of us choose to make money our master. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a conscious choice. But if we take an honest look at our past decisions involving money, how often have we made decisions based solely on the financial implications rather than on the spiritual implications? How many times have we made decisions based upon our feelings and our educated guesses and we never prayed about the decision? Should I accept this job? Of course, it pays more money. And if that's the only thing I'm concerned with, then there you go. I can't possibly give that much. We won't be able to afford blank. Or I can't afford to take that time off because I need more money. So I can't, I can't take a day off. I've got to be a workaholic in order to make more money. You know, as you know, our society has become obsessed with chasing more and more money. 
Some people live with the attitude that the goal in life is to die with as much money and as many toys as we can. That would be someone's idea of success in life. If they die with as much money and toys and material possessions as possible. The world tells us to hustle and grind and do whatever it takes to get more money. And somewhere along the line, we bought into the lie that money is the goal. When what God intended all along is that it would simply be a tool to help us fulfill our purpose on earth that is a God-given purpose. And that is what should be the goal. Author Craig Hill explains that money is the people's servant. They do what they do to fulfill a calling given to them by God. Since God is the master, money becomes their servant to fulfill God's purpose and calling on their lives. So friends, chasing money just to fulfill our own self-focused desires is a real recipe for trouble. Instead, the mandate should be that we maximize our earnings for God's purpose, for whatever he wants us to do with the increase. And that's why Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 16, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The Hebrews writer put it this way in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So friends, when money becomes the master or becomes our God, we lose track of the true God. We'll wander away from our faith. We'll make ourselves vulnerable to Satan's attacks. And he can use that love of money to draw us into all kinds of things that are not honoring to God. So we need to be content to some degree and understand that God will never leave us. So when we have money problems, what do we need to do? We need to go to God. We need to seek his wisdom. We need to make money our servant we don't need to be the servant of money. Now, there's another issue to address this morning. That is, how much you earn is not the issue. And I think this is a false premise that a lot of people have. It's all about how much I earn. I often get questions, or I've been questioned, is making a lot of money wrong? And my answer is this. The amount of money someone earns isn't the issue. What matters is the heart. Someone who lies and cheats to get ahead doesn't automatically become honorable once they have more money. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> On the other hand, a generous person who earns more doesn't automatically become stingy and greedy. Money simply reveals and amplifies what is already within the heart of a person. In the early days of the church, the Christians took up love offerings to help those who were in need. Many people would sell their possessions, maybe a piece of land, 
to help the needy. They would bring the proceeds and whatever they decided to give out of that sale, they would give to the apostles to be distributed to those who are in need. But one couple decided they wanted to use this as an opportunity to receive personal glorification. So in Acts chapter 5, we read this about this couple. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his, knowledge, his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to us, uh, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward and they wrapped up his body. This was a different day, you know. Today it's a lot more complicated. But they wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, friends, I'm not telling you this because uh, uh, to, to make you fear that if you don't give what we're telling you to give, you're going to... No, no, that, that's not what it was all about. That story isn't that you don't give what God wants you to and you're going to fall down and die. They could have given any amount, but they lied about what they were giving. They wanted to appear super righteous and get the credit for the gift while at the same time keeping the rest of it for themselves. So it wasn't about God to them. It was about appearance. Arthur Mike uh, Michalowicz puts it this way. Money amplifies your character. It is that simple. It allows you to repeat your ingrained habits easily. And unless you have developed a strong, humble character coupled with good habits, more and more money will become more and more of a problem. For example, if you have a drug habit, okay, and you get tons of money, what do you think will happen? You'll probably go find and buy drugs. Money amplifies the bad habit. But it also amplifies the good character. Now, there's a, a famous lady named Mother Teresa. Anybody ever heard of Mother Teresa? She received tons of money from people that wanted to help the folks there in Calcutta, India. She used it to serve more orphanages. She used it to amplify her good habits. 
So here too, money amplifies character. It has no judgment. It just enables you to be more of who you already are. And while I don't know your heart, God does. And he can help us to get our hearts in the right place. So friends, I want to encourage you. Let's choose today with honest prayer as we seek to get our hearts right with God on this issue. Because money's going to be around as long as we are. And if we don't understand how to make it a servant to us as we serve God, we're going to experience a lot of problems in life. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, I ask you to, again, search our hearts, to know us, to point out anything that offends you and that would create in us, a, I pray that you would create in us a pure heart, Lord, especially when it comes to the way we view and handle our finances. And Father, we, we again choose to affirm that you are the Lord and master of our lives and that money will be a servant to fulfill your purposes and your calling in our lives. And may we trust always to be in you, regardless of how much or how little money we have in our bank accounts. When times are lean and when there's an abundance, help us always to be aware that you are the provider of all our needs. May we be content with and thankful for and aware of the blessings that you provided to us. I pray like Paul that uh, we would be able to learn the secret of being content in any and every situation. And I pray that you would provide an abundance for every good work. And Father, I ask for wisdom that we would be good stewards with the things that you have entrusted us with. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.